Can I invite you this morning to maintain a spirit of sensitivity to what God wants to do in this place um, as I attempt to do the same? Um, my dream is a church that's led by God. I think that's all of our dream. Um, I had a visitation from Elijah this morning. That's his name. Um, I visited, had the privilege of doing um, Regan and Nicole's wedding a couple of weeks ago. And when I'd gone around to talk to them, Eli just gravitated to me, like straight away. His older sister was like, I don't know about this guy. But Eli was just, he was bringing me stuff. He was calling me mum. I'm not quite sure. I think mum's just the word kids are used to saying when they want something. Like, I don't think it means what, you know. Um, and when I left, he cried. Like, wailed. Apparently for a good 30 minutes after I was gone. I said, I always prefer it that way. I always prefer it when people cry when the pastor leaves rather than when the pastor arrives. Like, there's nothing worse than you turn up and go, hi, I've just dropped it. No, it's so hard. Why? Now, of all times. Um, huh. Are they here? We're, can you hear me in the back? Um, I just want you to know, I know they're in the crash, they can hear me all right. Um, Nicole, as you were kneeling at the altar here this morning, I had this picture of you, you know, you literally brought your children to the altar of God. And I feel like in the decisions that you and and Regan have made in in the last year, uh, your children have benefited from your sacrifice, from your humbling of yourselves. And... I want you to know that God honours that and he will honour that in your children and in your children's children and to a thousand generations. And I believe that boy, there was a prophecy, you know, again, as I watched him, he was copying me everything I did and I'm like, I don't know why anyone would want to imitate me, but I'll take it. But there was a word that was given to me at my dedication as a baby that I I want to speak over Eli this morning, and that was this. And it can take many different forms, but as he was hungry for that microphone, and I said to him, I'll tell you what, in a couple of years, it's all yours. Uh, My prophetic word, in fact, I believe God's word for that boy, is that he is to be a proclaimer. Whether that's in a pulpit, whether that's in his community, but I just, I really sensed as, as he was there, in that, in that imitation moment, I felt God said, that word that was given to you, you need to give to him. And so Eli, he is a proclaimer, and we claim that in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the price his parents have paid to bring them here to this moment. May we all have faith like a little child. Amen? Amen. It's just... I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's literally just my hype train because, like, I've been talking this sermon up to myself for like three months now, two months now. Um, but I just I have an expectation in my spirit, and I think God's doing something. If you've read my insert in the bulletin this morning, if you haven't, that's okay. You can go home and read it another time. Um, but I, I felt like, and I'm not the only person who's commented on this that over the last several weeks there's been this kind of pregnant pause at the end of every event we've had. A little bit like we finished worship this morning and it's just like, we finished our prayer meeting on Tuesday and I said amen and no one really moved. Sunday, Pam said, I'm sure I dismissed them, (laughs) but no one really moved because there's this kind of dwelling sense of the presence of God. And I believe that to be an invitation. I was talking about this with the elders on Tuesday night saying, I believe God is inviting us. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And I've had this word that's run around in my spirit for a couple of years, uh, and I've shared different parts of it at different times, but I get the sense that we have been a people, and I don't say we as in we, I mean we as in the collective church, who have been like doorbell ditches for Jesus, where you have this worship time, and you ask, and you seek, and you knock, and then you run away. And Jesus opens the door and goes, oh, well, next time. And Jesus is faithful that next time we knock on the door, he opens the door again. But I believe there's an invitation in these moments. But we get so tempted to rush off to the next thing. We get so tempted. And, and again, I'm being so careful because I don't want to manipulate anything. 
I don't want to try and force anything. I don't want to say, hey, let's all agree to stay as long as it, but, but if God is inviting us, then I believe the question is to ask the question, what are you inviting me to respond? And whatever that response is, to be obedient to that. It might not be the same for all of us, but to be obedient to that. And yeah, in, in the bulletin I wrote, at a, at a porphyry, one of the things that happens is as the manuhiri, the visitors come onto the marae, there's this exchange called a, where, where the wero is laid, or the, or the taki, which translates in two ways. One is to entice. And I believe over time, God has been enticing us to his presence, to his calling, to his engagement. You know, this year is the year of engaging with discipleship, engaging with fellowship, engaging with the mission of God. And I believe in this moment, there's this enticement. But the other translation of the word taki is to challenge. And in that challenge, in the, in the, you, you have to think that, and if you've ever seen this, remember how there's like no break in eye contact? Because it's like a moment of vulnerability, right? If like you think, you think of Maori tribes visiting each other in this moment, I'm bending down. My life is in your hands in this moment. Does that sound like anyone else we know who stepped down? Who issues us this invitation, this enticement, and this challenge? Because that is the moment of testing our true intentions. What is the intention of the visitor? And I believe part of what we're seeing right now in this moment is God enticing us, but also going, what's your intention? Is your intention, this isn't even my sermon yet, but I think it's important. Uh, Is your intention just to get healed and go home again? Is your intention to seek the hand of God? Or is your intention to seek the face of God? You know, I think of Joshua, who it says he dwelled in the meeting tent after everyone else had left. Because he had this intent of This is what I want. You think of the intent of Jacob who held on to God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. You think of all these different moments. You think of the moments that Jesus sees faith and responds to. And so I believe that as not just this church, but his church, we are being faced with a widow or a taki moment, an invitation, an enticement that requires a response that will reveal our intentions. And what it is we really want from God. We pray for revival. We ask for revival. Sometimes I don't know that we know what we're asking for. <laughs> you okay with not being able to go to work tomorrow? Some of you are like, I hate Mondays. It's fine. <laughs> but are you, are you okay with your whole life being upended? Because God wants to do something in his church and in his community? Or are we still people who, who say, you know what, God can do what he wants with me as long as it's between the hours of 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning. And as long as it doesn't require me to join a life group or as long as it doesn't require me to do this, that, or the other, this is, this is the time that I give God. I heard a good quote this week that the remedy for exhaustion is not rest. And I think that's sometimes our approach. I'm just exhausted, I just need to rest. But this person submitted that the, and I'm not saying that rest is bad, God rested. Rest is important. But maybe you've been resting for a while and you go, I still feel exhausted. Then might I submit to you that the cure for your exhaustion is not more rest, but actually, as this quote suggested, wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness. See, when I give myself wholly to something, completely to something, and it consumes me, it never exhausts me because my whole heart is in it. But if I'm only half in it, then it starts to drain me. And I start to remember how God says you can't serve two masters because you'll love one, despise the other. And so I want to submit, again, that's why I believe God called this year the year of engagement because we've had our rest. And now I believe God is encouraging us wholeheartedly as he delivers us. I I believe it's an exodus moment for some people here this morning. And I'm going to talk about that word that's so pivotal to our faith, but so many of us don't like to hear, and that word is repentance. Repentance is one of the pivot points that our faith hinges on. We know it, and we use it. We love to talk about it in comparison to other people. And pray that God never brings it up with us. 
We love to go, I did that. I dealt with that. I left that behind. I put it at the cross. And then Jesus goes, I want to talk about that. And so I want to unpack repentance with you this morning. And then I want to lead us. We're going to take communion this morning. Because I, more than a sermon, I want to lead us in a guided reflection on repentance. Because I think there's a significant moment. This is the deliverance, right? This is the exodus. And I, but I believe that I'm going to unpack some things about repentance this morning that might be different to what you've heard or at least what you've felt in your spirit. Because again, I mentioned the word repentance and you just feel everything and you just tighten a little bit. Everybody do that? Why would something so holy from God cause us to go, I believe that's because we've allowed the enemy to define it into something that it's not. And so if I might redefine repentance for you this morning, I believe that you'll enter freedom in a new way. I believe we will enter freedom in a new way. And I believe we'll experience an outpouring of God in a new way. So i got a series of scriptures that I want to just give you bullet point, bullet point. If you are part of our trial life group change at the moment, you've got your sermon notes in front of you with some blanks. We're going to fill those in. Right at the top, there are two words that I think are important for us to start. This is the Greek and the Hebrew words for repentance as they appear in the Bible. These were the understandings of these words to the audience that they were written. The Greek word is metanoia, which you might have heard before. Metanoia. And it means this, if you're writing, taking notes in that space, change of mind or change of purpose. Change of mind slash purpose. We change our mind all the time. We change our purpose slightly less often, but some of us still quite often. So suddenly this idea, you know, change of mind, why does that scare us? We do it all of the time. I do it with my children all of the time. I say, no, you're not having ice cream. And then they smile at you sweetly and you go, all right. And then this word shub, the Hebrew word, which literally means to turn back or return. Turn back or return. You know what I love about that idea? It's about coming home. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you feel at the end of a long, hard day? You know, you, you've like it's work, it's, it, it's whatever it may be, it's a family tension, it's, it's whatever. You ever just get that, you know, you're sitting at the office. I know I feel this and I work at a church and so that's supposed to be, you know, but like sometimes you're just sitting at your desk or you're working and you're whatever, you're holding your lollipop sign and you go, I just wish I could go home. Why? Because home's safe. Home is, is comfortable. I mean, not always, I'll acknowledge that. But the intention of home is that it's supposed to be safe. The intention of a home is that it's supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be that place that you, you start and end your day. It's that first place, right? And this is the word to return, to turn back, to come home, that God chooses to use to explain what repentance is to his people. That when we repent, it should be like a coming home. Remember the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son? And he has this idea of what going home is going to be like. After he's squandered everything, after he's insulted his father, after he's run out and it says in the Bible, no one would give him anything. And he goes, at least if I go home, I'll be a servant. Like he has this view of, but then he gets home and home is completely different to what he anticipates because the father who he's insulted runs to him, puts a garment on him, embraces him, holds a feast in his honor. And God says, this is what it should feel like when we repent, that it should be like coming home, that it should be like returning to something. And yet so often we think of, of repentance as leaving something, like I'm gonna lose something, whereas Jesus is like, no, just come back. Revelation talks about come back to your first love. Let me hit you with some rapid fire scriptures. This first one, again, filling in the blanks, Acts chapter three, verse 19 to 20. These are, these are one, two, three, four, five things that I want you to understand about repentance before we have this time with God. It says this, Acts chapter three, verse 19 to 20. Now repent of your sins, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, 
that times of what? Refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. What I love about this, I've got the New Living Translation here, which is pretty much the same, but I just love it breaks it down a little more. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God. I think there's something really important to understand here, especially in that concept of returning, and that is this. Repentance is turning from and turning towards something. Repentance is turning from and turning towards something. And that's why it says, repent of your sins and turn to God. See, part of repentance is acknowledging so much. We can make repentance so much about our, our sin that we forget that it's about Jesus. Right? You ever had that? You ever had that preacher who makes repentance so much about your sin that you actually go, I don't know if I really heard about Jesus in any of that. I just heard about what a scummy person I was. Repentance is a turning from and a turning towards. And the refreshing that that scripture talks about comes from the turning towards. See, I would put it to you this way. There are plenty of times in our repentance journey where we turn from things and we just turn to something else. Or we just turn back and forwards between two things and going, I'm doing really well with that one at the moment, but not this one. And then we go, oh, well, I crucify that one and I'm back to this one. And we continue to turn away from our vice. We continue to turn away from whatever that sin thing is for us. And keep in mind, when I talk about sin, I don't just talk about, like, we again, we have such a, evil connotation to that word, right? And it is. Like, God hates sin, we should hate sin. But often we can go, well, sin's all those dark things that other people do. But actually, it's, it's, it's about our pride, our fierce independence, our selfishness, our greed, whatever the things are that we turn to instead of turning to God. And so we can turn backwards and forwards between all these different things and, and, and go, I'm repenting. But part of the repenting journey requires us to actually turn to Jesus. In fact, the, the, if I was to unpack, I'm not, I don't have time, but one of the definitions when you look at the, the letters of the Hebrew word repent, because they came out of Egypt, so they were hieroglyphs, right? And so every letter was a picture, every word's a comic strip. And it's this picture of, and it literally, I don't have time, I haven't put it in my notes, but it literally means this, to turn my head to the one who is capable of bearing the burden. That's repentance. To turn my head to the one who's capable of carrying my burden because I can't do it on my own. Repentance is turning from something and it's turning towards something. Let's take a look at this next verse. This one, this one's powerful because again, it redefines repentance for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. Godly sorrow. It's an interesting term, isn't it? Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. What a good definition of godly repentance. See, see again, maybe your definition of repentance leaves you with no salvation, leaves you full of regret, leaves you with no joy, leaves you going, oh, I walked out of that meeting on repentance, and how do you feel? I just feel useless. But the definition that God gives is godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. It's worldly sorrow that brings death. So the implication seems to be that if your repentance constantly leads you to this feeling of death and uselessness, you're not grieving godly sorrow. Which then maybe raises the question, what freedom might God have for you today? Maybe like... Maybe if when we heard the words repentance service, we went, oh, freedom and no regrets, instead of, oh, conviction and shame, which is what we hear, right? But God wants to redefine it, which brings me to the second point. Repentance gives life. Repentance gives life, because worldly sorrow leads to death. What did Jesus say? I have come that you may have life and life to the full, life in all of its abundance. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Repentance gives life. Repentance is turning from something, it's turning, but more importantly, it's turning towards something. And that turning gives life. 
Here's another one for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I overfilled that water, and every time I move it. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There's a promise there. And here's the promise. Repentance gives us access to the Holy Spirit. Repentance gives us access to the Holy Spirit. I mentioned in my prayer earlier, what's the Holy Spirit? He's our comforter, and He's our empowerer. Jesus calls Him the paraclete, the one who comes alongside who comforts us, but also says, hey, that mission that I've given you, don't go until you've received the Holy Spirit. Which in this, in the mission that I've given you, don't go until you've repented. Don't go until you've turned towards the one who can carry the burden. Don't go until you've received the life that I have for you. Because if you go without having your eyes on Jesus and you go without having received life, you'll just find death everywhere you turn. Repentance gives us access to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, you know, we tend to think of, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan, so we tend to think of like the Holy Spirit like the force. But the Bible talks to us as the Holy Spirit as a person, as a personality, which means he can be grieved, he can be pleased, they can be uplifted, quenched. The Bible talks about all these things. When we hold on to our pride and go, I don't want to, I don't need to repent, we essentially say, I don't need your comfort, I don't need your empowering, I can do it on my own which is where we turn our face from the one who can bear the burden and go, I've got this. We would never try to do it on our own, though, would we? Nobody here has ever tried to do it on their own, have they? (laughs) Finally, and this one, again, beautiful, ties in nicely with the the paraclete we've just talked about. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I said finally, it's not finally. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Here's here's what I love about this. Jesus leads us to repentance. If you're taking notes, Jesus leads us to repentance. So often we think of repentance as this idea that God stands on the other side and goes, you can do it. If you make it, I'll bless you. Come fourth and receive eternal life. Come fifth and win a toaster. (laughs) But the Bible says that Jesus leads us to repentance. How does he lead us? One, he takes the first step. He comes to us in our brokenness. Two, Jesus walks with me. Jesus talks with me. (laughs) It's like he he comes, and, and again, in the same way we talk about the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside. He leads us to repentance. I love it in Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. I love that picture. I love that picture. So often my image, when I, you know, when I go to the park to pray, you know, I, I don't have a theology for this. It's just God engages my imagination. So often when I'm praying, I imagine Jesus who walks with me as I walk the park. And I discuss in the way that we would talk if you and I went for a walk because he's the one that leads me. And he's always that one slight step ahead because he has that much more, which is interesting because he could be a thousand steps ahead, couldn't he? And he is a thousand steps ahead. And yet when Jesus leads us to repentance, he chooses to be just one step ahead of where we are right now. 
which is the beauty of God, is that he doesn't run off ahead going, come on, catch up, we've got things to do. And are we not all grateful for that? <laughs> are we not grateful that in the repentance journey, Jesus goes, you've hurt your back. And I'm not talking about your physical injury so much, but actually you're wounded by that. You've done something and you've hurt yourself. Remember I talked about that whole burnt hands thing a couple of weeks ago? And Jesus doesn't smack our burnt hand like my mother. Well, my mother didn't smack my burnt hand. Um, they, they run it under cold water. They, and so Jesus goes, I understand you've hurt yourself here. Let's take it one step at a time. I'm with you. I don't run ahead and go, well, I'll, I'll wait for you at the next bit. Jesus leads us to repentance. And through repentance. Because how many people know repentance is a journey, right? I love the, the verse in Revelation, you know, and part of this came out of my own time. As I sat in January at my retreat, I just spent the first three hours just in a time of repentance with God, just turning my head to the one who could bear the burden. And the Bible says he will wipe every tear from our eye because he leads us through it and he leads us out the other side. Here's another one for you. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this. The time has come. The time has come. The time is now. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. If I could jump ahead in the notes, I know that those who are taking notes, I'm trying not to be difficult. Skip the next verse down to where I missed a bullet point. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come there. Repent and believe the good news. Here's, here's the observation from that. Repentance is a response. It's a response, not an initiation. See, so many of us have this idea that our repentance will initiate change. That if I repent, then God would work it out. If I repent, then God... And, and there's a truth in that, in the sense that repentance accesses the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. But there's a greater truth here which this verse does not say, repent and believe the good news and then the time will come. Right? It doesn't say, repent and believe the good news and then the kingdom of God might manifest itself in your life. No, it says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is here and now today. The miracles of Jesus, the plans of God, the purposes of God are in action in your community, here, now, today. And our repentance is an invited response. Here's why that's a beautiful thing. Here's why that's a beautiful thing. Um, I can see you just look chilled. I'm assuming that's not because you're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. I assume it's just because you're resting in the challenge of what I'm saying. Um, if repentance is an initiation, then it's works. Isn't it? It's faith by works. I have to do this in order to get. But if our repentance is a response to the presence of God, then it's a completely different thing. Because it's not, I won't love you unless. It's, I love you, so would you. It's a completely, like, that, that's a different marriage, right? You live in a marriage that's constantly, if you do, I will. It gets exhausting. In fact, in extreme cases, that's called abuse. But a loving relationship says, I love you, so would you. Huh? It's the difference between I love you, would you take out the trash? And if you don't take out the trash, right? You, you, you feel me? You feel me? I'm trying to make it relatable, to bring it right down to a level. See, watch this. This is Now we back up to this other scripture. Look at this. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus is dying on the cross. And he says this. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. <coughs> See, Jesus didn't wait for them to be repentant and then say, okay, now I forgive you. He didn't say, God, forgive them if they ever repent. He said, Father, forgive them 
for they know not what they do. And then leaves the choice with them. In other words, Jesus opens the door and says, I have shown you the way, walk in it. I've already opened the door. Do you see how this is so different, perhaps, to the repentance we've been taught? We've been taught that forgiveness is the response of repentance. Think about it. Forgiveness is the response of repentance. You repent, God forgives. Wrong. The Bible clearly teaches God forgives, you repent. And that changes everything because it's not works, it's love. There's still a responsibility. Again, I'm not preaching universalism here. I'm not, like, there is still a responsibility. There are plenty of people that God has chosen to forgive because Jesus died for the whole world who go, no, thank you. As they continue to walk because they don't want to turn from or towards something. But when our repentance is a response to the love of God, then the way we preach it changes. If our repentance is a response to the love of God, then no longer do we take it, like, that's good news. Right? I'm getting saved this morning. (laughs) Repentance is a response. See, repentance is turning from something and turning towards something. Repentance gives life. Repentance gives us access to the Holy Spirit, the comforter and the empowerer for ministry. Jesus walks that journey, leads us to repentance at our pace in response to the good work and the love that he has already lavished upon us. See, if I stood up here and told you this morning that if you repent, Jesus will love you, I would be a heretic because that's blasphemy. Scripture says God loves you already. Now, and he has a better plan for you. And if you would turn from some things and turn towards him, he would empower you, lead you, and comfort you while you walk through it. And is that not a better story? Is that not the Jesus we read about? And so can I take a moment to just say, if repentance has been ever used to control you instead of set you free, if repentance has ever been used to wound you instead of heal you, if repentance has ever been used to keep you out of the kingdom of God instead of welcome you home to the kingdom of God, I am so sorry. That was never God's intention. That's not his story. But this morning... God invites his church to repent, to change our mind, to change our purpose, to turn from some things. Hey, here's, here's something for you. Just in fact, this just in my spirit as I was preparing. Some of you, the thing to turn from is worry. You go, worry's not a sin. It's not evil. But it's the sense of like, God, can you fix my Egypt? Insecurity, instability, uncertainty, all these things God wants to just turn our head from. Okay, don't look at that. Look at me. Yeah, we watch the news and we go, oh, God goes, don't look at that. Look at me. I'm not saying watching the news is a bad thing, but I'm saying if it causes you worry, fix your eyes on Jesus instead. Yeah. I've been tempted in the last couple of weeks to look at my bank account and go, oh, God, and God goes, just look at me. I look at what happens when my fixed rate comes up in August. God goes, now look at that, just look at me. Turn your face to the one who can bear the burden, who parted the Red Sea for the Egyptians, who is still parting seas, who is still making a way where there seems to be no way today. And as we repent, we say, God, you can do it. I'm going to let you do it. Can we do it? (laughs) Here's what I want to do this morning with the time we have left. 
I want to simply read through David's psalm of repentance. Psalm chapter 51. It's beautiful. Again, this is how I spent my time uh, starting off my retreat. Just turning my face from things that had distracted me, things that were bu- I was busy with, things that I'd done wrong. Uh, I don't think anyone made it through the three years of COVID without doing something that they didn't regret in terms of a conversation, a Facebook post, a decision, or whatever. I just went, God, I give it to you. Turn it to you. Would you lead us forward? God is the best GPS because he just reroutes you from wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. We could go around the room and everybody would find themselves in a different place. We're not going to do that. I'm going to give you your own moment with God. And as we go through the book, of, the book of Psalm, chapter 51, the psalm breaks down into three areas. Psalm 51, verse 1 to 6, is David's confession. And I love this confession. Like David doesn't list out everything he's done. Sometimes, again, we think of confession and we go, oh, I'm going to have to tell someone everything. David admits his guilt to God. And so as we read through these reflections, at the end of each portion, I'm going to just pause. Don't worry about putting them up because I don't want people to, I want people to listen to them rather than um, be reading. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because I just love the way that it's worded. So at the end of each one, we're going to just pause. And I just want to give you a moment for God to do what God wants to do. And if that's a little emotional, this is the safest place for that, Right? not going to ask any, I just want you to have your own moment. It's not going to be a time of passing the mic around and sharing and all that sort of thing. We're just going to have a moment. So starting with 1 to 6 is confession. Verse 7 to 11 is David's cleansing prayer. He confesses and then there's cleansing. And finally, and perhaps this is the place we never get to in our repentance journey, but this is the part that brings all of those other scriptures that brings life and and godly sorrow leads to salvation, leaves no regrets. Psalm chapter 51, verse 12 to 19 is David's consecration. His confession, his cleansing, and his consecration. And so we're going to do that. I'm just going to pause at each one and just give you time for what that looks like for you. And at the conclusion of our consecration, as part of that, The communion table will be up here. The emblems that represent the Jesus who leads us, who came to us, who died for us, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. And in your own time, you can come and receive communion. The elders will be here to serve you, but rather than handing it out this morning, they'll serve you at the table. Um, Let me pray, and then we'll go into this together. Lord, we thank you that you're here this morning. We thank you that you do not bring condemnation. You bring conviction. You show us the way. But there is no condemnation in Jesus. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, would you take us through this process this morning so that you might get bigger in our lives, so that your salvation would grow in our lives, that we would experience the comforting and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the life that you gave us, that we would not only turn from something this morning, but we would turn towards you, our Savior. In response to the love that you have already given us. Psalm 51, verse 1 to 6. God, give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away 
my guilt. Because your compassion is so great, take away from me this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways. And erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I have been so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I cannot get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you. You saw it all. Against you and above all else, you have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true. And your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Let's just pause in his presence. Verse 7 to 11, David's cleansing. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. The places within me you have crushed will rejoice in your healing touch. Hide now my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Create a new, clean heart within me. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take from me your sacred spirit. Let's pause. By now, you should no longer be meditating on your sin, but the cleansing of Jesus. Verse 12, David's consecration, our consecration. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I can show to others how loving and merciful you are. And they will find their way back home to you. Knowing that you will forgive them. Oh God, my saving God, deliver me fully from every sin. Even the sin that brought bloodshed and blood guilt. Then my heart will once again be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of joy and deliverance. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer you. 
the fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my broken heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet. Because you favor Zion, because you favor your church, do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around us. And when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring our sacrifices of righteousness before you in love. Let's pause. Heavenly Father, you are such a good, good God. You love us with an everlasting love. While we were still sinners, you sent your Son to die for us. You made a way where there seems to be no way. And Lord, you do not leverage our guilt. You do not leverage our fear. You do not leverage our shame. You redeem us from it. Lord, we've just read that you delight in the sacrifice of our broken heart and our righteousness. When all we have to give you is brokenness, you delight in our sacrifice. You don't delight in our hurt, you delight in our willingness to give it to you. And when we're strong and we come through, you delight in our sacrifice of praise. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place this morning lighter, as we turn our face to the one who can bear the burden. Lord, there have been moments in this service and in our time of reflection of sorrow. We don't like it when we hurt you or when we hurt others. But Lord, godly sorrow leads to repentance and life. And so, Lord, would that sorrow be something that we could leave at the table this morning in exchange for the fullness of joy and life that you gave for us when you died on the cross? We love you, Jesus. We love your name. We love your word. We love your promise. We love your person. Be with us as we walk this journey. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the musos just to come back for a moment. And just in this space, as you continue to reflect, as you continue to... There's no rush to run away if you're on morning tea or anything like that. It'll wait. It's all good. Thanks, Jace. But just as the team minister to us as they play. You might want to reflect on the words. You might want to sing. Um, but in, when you're ready, uh, feel free to come to this table. This table is the Lord's table. It's for all those who call themselves his children, his people. Maybe you didn't call yourself that when you walked in today, but you would like to call yourself that as you walk out. Then may this communion be your first. Just in your own time, as the Spirit leads.